This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Well, good morning, Gateway. How are you? Uh, it is always uh, a privilege to be here with you. If I haven't met you, I would love to do that. Uh, my name is Sarah, and I'm on the teaching team here. And uh, we are going through the series, this great I Am series, yes. And um, I got, like, the best chapter, John chapter 11. Now, my primary world is with teenagers, uh, teaching them the Bible. And they love John chapter 11. They do. I mean, anytime. There is Bible memorization and a passage to be chosen. They go John 11. And I was like, wow, these students, they just love theology. They just love the good. No, no, John 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible. So they're smart. (laughs) They're smart. But they love John chapter 11. And I'm excited to be in John 11 today. There is so much here uh, on, on this topic of, of Jesus being, um, Jesus making this great I am statement. And um, we're going to swim in that this morning, okay? So I know that the way we do church in general is we put some verses up on the screen and we make it easy for you. Not this morning, okay? So I'm going to invite you, I'm going to give you a head start, you're going to want to pull out a Bible, that, the, the, the book that like actually opens and has pages. Um, does anybody go the old school Bible route? That is still my, my preference. I see a few hands of holy people in here. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, the rest of you, you can go to whatever tech device you have, whatever app you use and scroll to John 11. I had a student say, well, Miss Boyd, uh, Jesus probably read off scrolls, so this is actually the holier version. And I was like, get out of here. F in Bible for the semester. Nah. <laughs> right? So whatever your preference, I, I've been convicted by Tom, grace and love. Okay, grace and love. Um, so whatever format of scripture you are using, we are going to read pretty much all of John chapter 11 this morning. Amen? Okay. Oh, someone's listening to it already. Awesome. All right, you got a head start. Here we go. John chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were there and tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to wake him up. 
His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to, uh, to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet arrived uh, in, the, in the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? They, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. For he has been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you have sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I mean, like, do I even need to like say anything after that chapter? I mean, I'm long-winded, so you're not getting out of here early. But I mean, it's so good, right? It's such a good chapter. There's so much in there. And, and what I really want to do 
is obviously we're going to talk about the I am statement, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But before we get there, I want to lay a little groundwork of, of, of important information that we glean from this chapter so that we rightly understand what this means and that we rightly apply it. And so the first thing that I want us to see in this text is that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing because we serve a sovereign God. He knew exactly what he was doing. He heard that Lazarus was sick, and what did he decide to do? He decided to stay. He didn't immediately go and respond. Verse 4, Jesus was going into the situation in order to bring glory to God and affirm that his claim to be the son of God was true. In other words, at the end of the chapter, like we see, so that they may believe in who he was and is. And the disciples are confused, right? They, they think he's sleeping. Jesus knows he's dead. He knows that he's going to bring them back to life. He has a purpose here to show his disciples and others that he is greater than death because he is God. Okay, so Jesus was intentional. He knew what he was doing. But that leads into the second point that is maybe a little difficult for us to stomach. And that is the reality of differing perspectives. We may not always understand what our sovereign God is doing. Let, let me say it this way. We may not always like what our sovereign God chooses to do. I mean, as you read through that chapter, you hear so many different perspectives, right? Well, Jesus, if you have just been here, oh, well, Lazarus is sleeping. Oh, well, here, here's Jesus who healed the blind. Couldn't he have healed the dead man? Where was he? All of the voices saying all of the things, and we wouldn't know anything about a multitude of perspectives in 2020, 2021 people, would we? There's no varied voices in our day and age about who Jesus is, or God, or what's happening in the world, or... <laughs> but, but we see very clearly that God was in control. And very clearly that God allowed his people to go through something very difficult. Jesus waits additional days to come, and both Martha and Mary say to him, God, you could have prevented this. Jesus, you could have prevented this if you'd just been here. And I, and I, I really want to make this clear, because this is an area where a lot of times people struggle with the weight of loss and grief that is a very difficult thing that we will talk about in a moment, but it causes them to doubt God's goodness or God's love. And let's see very clearly what is repeated in this verse in this chapter. Verse 3, Mary and Martha send a note to Jesus, the one you love is sick. Verse 5 reiterates that these were people that Jesus loved, that he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So here are people who love Jesus and who Jesus loves, and yet God still allows them to go through something incredibly difficult. We do not want to hear that. Because that means that in our lives, God may allow difficult things intentionally. 
And we would rather have the miracle that prevents it, right? We would rather have the miracle before the hard stuff. And sometimes we don't even get the Lazarus miracle. Sometimes we're waiting for the miracle of Christ coming back, and that's when we'll get the miracle of ultimate redemption. But whatever God chooses to do, he's the one in control. And the fact that we love him doesn't mean we get from him whatever we want. And we've got to be careful because there are people out there that will tell you that's what it means to follow Jesus. You know, God is love. You can do whatever you want. That is not scripture. That is not truth. And that is not kindness because you will believe all, all, all of that all of your life and you will wonder who God is and where he is when life just doesn't work out that way. It got really quiet in here. You're supposed to be the with it service, so give me an amen. Or, yeah, there we go. There we go. See, this is the same God who didn't prevent Lazarus's suffering and these sisters' suffering, but who allowed them to suffer. It, it, it's the same God who also chose to suffer on the cross so that we might be saved. Might it follow that if we are going to be followers of Christ who was willing to suffer for the glory of God, that we might also be called to suffer for the glory of God. Which is why it's very disturbing to me that we throw around the word persecution and we whine so quickly today. God, where are you? What? Man, he might be letting you go through something difficult. I had a coworker whose wife was pregnant and found out she had breast cancer. And praise God, the end of the story is that after a lot of difficulty and a lot of physical pain and a lot of just, just a lot, both mom and baby right now are healthy. Praise God, that's a miracle, right? And I have permission to share, share the story, but my, my coworker and his wife, they were sitting in the doctor's office during one of the most difficult parts of this process. And the doctor literally stopped the appointment and he said to them, I just gotta, I just gotta ask you, like, do you really understand what I'm saying? Like, do you, do you really understand? And this happens to be our anatomy and physiology teacher, so if there's any teacher who's gonna understand the gravity <laughs> of the situation, it's this particular teacher. And, he's a, and he said, yeah. And we have cried our tears. And we, we know. And he began to kind of unpack that they fully understand it. He said, but here's what you don't know. We serve a God who is real. And he may heal my wife. And he may protect my baby. But even if he doesn't, he's good. And he's in control. And so we sit here in the midst of the most difficult part of our lives, and we trust him. Now, you don't have opportunity to share that kind of testimony unless God lets you go through something really difficult. And we love it. We love to sit here and hear stories like that in the midst of difficulty. People glorify God. We just don't want to be the ones that go through the difficult thing. We're like, that's great that God made that your testimony, right? But God is sovereign and he is in control. And I love the verse that my students all want to memorize, Jesus wept. Because it does show us 
very concisely that he's not immune to our pain, that he does weep with us, that death was never supposed to be part of our world, but God did not wash his hands at our rebellion and our brokenness, but he stepped into the story, dressing himself in humanity to suffer on our behalf that we might be saved. So God is in control. We have to trust divine perspective over our perspective. And that brings us to the reality of the resurrection. That Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. See, our hope is in Christ, the author of life and the defeater of death. Can I get an amen on that? Right? I mean, doesn't Paul say, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And that this life with its pain and its brokenness, and that is not to make light of the difficulty, but this is not the final story. This isn't even really the true story. It's like the waiting room for what's, what's to come. And, and when we have the right perspective, it, it, it's just good for us to see that, that Jesus, our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is not in the miracle. Our hope is not in blessing. Our hope is not in what we want. Our hope isn't even in heaven. Our hope is in Christ. And because of Christ, we will someday experience healing. And because of Christ, we will someday ex experience eternity where there is no pain and there is no suffering and the world is what it should have been. Because our hope is in the resurrection and the life who is Jesus Christ himself. <clears throat> and we see that in scripture, right? I mean, we, we see it from the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God speaks life into existence. John takes that theme and starts his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was with God. In the beginning, through him, all things were made. Colossians, for in him, in Jesus, all things were created. Life has its source in Jesus. And, and have any of you ever wondered how Jesus could call himself the resurrection before he was actually resurrected? Nobody has raised their hand this morning. I thought that was, Tom, I thought that was such a good question. I had wondered that. I was so prepared for people to be like, ooh, yeah, I mean, no one. That's fine. I'm not offended. I'm not offended. <laughs> but what Jesus is saying there is that I am the source of life. I am the source of the resurrection. So we see at the end of John that Lazarus is raised, proving Jesus' authority as the Son of God, proving his authority over death. But here's the reality. Lazarus was raised to die again. But Jesus' resurrection, oh, that's the ultimate resurrection. See, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. See, this first fruits business is pretty cool. And granted, I'm a Bible nerd, so you're going to have to just... Pretend with me if you're not totally like in, enamored with this point, okay? 
First fruits, all through scripture, a big deal, right? The first portion of a crop, okay? Now, now the Jews were to take that first portion of the crop to follow, the first fruits, and they were to sacrifice that to God in thanksgiving of God's provision for them. And in fact, there was actually a, um, a feast of first fruits. And do you know when that happened? Three days after Passover. Oh. <laughs> Jesus is crucified. Passover. Three days later, the first fruits rises again. And we're the crop to come. We're made alive in Christ. Come on, that's good. Jesus is the provision of God on our behalf that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you and I if we are in him by faith. And so that is the promise. That the resurrected body, that Jesus' glorified body, when he, when he was raised from the dead, it was no longer this body that will decay. And if you've got questions about that, go read the rest of 1 Corinthians 15. It's amazing. But that we will be made like Christ. We will be given a body that will not decay, that will not break down, that will not die. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have lost somebody or if you are someone that has suffered with chronic injury or ailment, I don't say this lightly. My dad passed away about five years ago, six now actually. I have walked the road of someone trusting this promise to their last breath. I was injured about 10 years ago in an accident that changed my life. And in a decade, I have not had a day without pain. And I look forward to that day. I look forward to that day. But that's not where my hope is. My hope is in Christ. The rest of it, oh man, that's a beautiful promise. That is a benefit. That is something that I look forward to and I long for. And I echo the, the words of John at the end of Revelation that just says, come Lord Jesus, because I'm done with this world. But he apparently says, you're not done with this world. There's work to be left. There's work to be done. I love what Gary Habermas writes in his book, The Risen Jesus and Future Hope, because this, this man is an expert on the resurrection from an apologetic standpoint. But he also walked through a very difficult time with his wife's illness. And he writes these words. None of this means that death is our friend. Death is an enemy, a consequence of our wrongdoing, a bitter pill that goes down hard. Thinking about it often hurts and suffering through it as it claims loved ones tears at our hearts. As painful as all this is though, we can find hope and solace in the fact that death is not the end. It does not have the final say. For Christians, ultimate victory lies on the other side of death. There we will find the best in eternal life. God has turned death into the door that opens to the fullest possible joy, heavenly bliss. See, I think sometimes we have a wrong understanding of heaven. We've settled for some secularized, cartoonish version where we're all just like little angel babies with wings on clouds with harps. 
and then we don't look forward to that. I have found that my male teenagers in class especially don't look forward to that. Go figure. <laughs> but we don't, we don't understand the realness to the life in Christ, that eternity with him will have eating and, and, and fellowship and work, that work is not a consequence of the fall. God gave Adam work. It's just that we've corrupted it, right? And governments are corrupt, and, that, and none of that will be when we are living eternally at peace with God. What a beautiful promise. I want to take just a couple moments. I warned the children's ministry because that's my best friend, Shelly. I warned her that I might go a few minutes long in this sermon. Uh, I was really good in the first one, but y'all came to the one that there's no one to follow. <laughs> Big mistake. If you're door dashing, tell them it's going to be an extra. No, I'm just joking. Okay. So I want to take what we call in drama just an aside, right? So like you've got everything going on and then the character kind of steps aside and talks to the audience. So we're going to take an apologetics aside for a moment when it comes to the resurrection. Because sometimes when you are talking about that this is fundamental to our faith, right? If Jesus is raised, this is fundamental to what we believe. You will sometimes hear, it's just too good to be true. It's just too good to be true. In other words, someone who is skeptical, and I don't mean that, we sometimes villainize the non-believer, like everybody who's a non-believer is out there like, Christians, ah, ah. I don't, okay, we don't mean that. Half the time, that's actually what Christians look like. Oh, did I say it? I said it. I said it. Can't take it back. Um, you have someone who's not a believer that says, look, resurrections just don't happen. And what they're doing is they're leaving out a very important word in that sentence resurrections don't happen naturally. Well, I, as a Christian, agree with you. Resurrections do not happen naturally. They are not normal. They are an exception to the normal. We just happen to have a word with that that we call miracle. Okay? Now, now here's why this matters. The resurrection is not the greatest miracle recorded in the Bible. Did you know that? What, what, what actually is a greater miracle? I don't know, Genesis 1-1, where there's a God who actually exists and spoke the universe into existence. See, if that is true, if Genesis 1-1 is true, it puts every miracle of the Bible on the table as possible. If there is a God who spoke life into being, then there is a God who can resurrect Jesus. And if there's a God who resurrects Jesus, then there is a God who can resurrect you and I out of our sin. So no, we don't, it doesn't happen naturally. But if you just presuppose there's no God, then of course there can't be. But the better question is, is there evidence for the resurrection? And I will tell you, friends, from an apologetic standpoint, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, even outside of Scripture, is phenomenal. It's why atheists who come to study it to write about how it can't be all get saved and write books about how they got saved, <laughs> right? Lee Strobel, J. Warner Wallace, I mean, all these people. Because when you just look at the evidence... In fact, they just made a movie about it. So you want, if you're not a reader, go watch The Case for Christ. It's Lee Strobel's like, testimony. It's fantastic. The Case for Christ came out a couple years ago. Very well done. So here we go. <clears throat> Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I want to come back to John chapter 11 as we wrap this up. At the end of telling Martha that he is this, that I am the resurrection and the life, he asked her the most important question 
that, that anyone can be asked and answer. And he says to her, do you believe this? Do you believe it? What are you going to do with who Jesus claimed to be? What are you going to do with that? Now, now for the person who's not saved, that's one question. Like, are you going to call him Lord? And if you are someone who has not accepted Christ, then you need to wrestle with that question. Because you can't just say he was a good teacher, because if what he said wasn't true, then he was not a good teacher. And he claimed to be God, so if he was not God, then not only is he not a good teacher, but he's probably not a good person because he let people die for him. So you're going to wrestle with who is Jesus. But I would imagine for most of us in this space or watching online, we have come to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord and that we have put our trust in him. But let me take this one step further. If that is true, if we have been given newness of life in Christ, that is just the first page of the story. Because what we have seen in this chapter is that that's not a nice little tidbit. That's life change. And that what God does in the lives of people he loves and who put their faith and trust in him is that he uses their life for his glory. So if you believe this this morning, it kind of begs the question, how does your life demonstrate the fact that you believe this is true? that he is Lord, that he is returning, that he is life, that he wants to use your life to glorify him. See, I love the words of Paul. I feel like I'm always coming back to this uh, verse. I should probably get it tattooed on me somewhere. Uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I, know no, I no longer live. I mean, wasn't that great to see those kids say, look, I, I want to I show the world that I've died with Christ and I've been rise, like raised again. That I'm no longer living, right? I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, this body, as broken <laughs> as it may be. I was just telling Shelly last night, we were uh, outside and Titus was playing and, you know, she's married and, and I'm single. I'm quelling all of the bitterness jokes that I have right here. Like, I, want, I just want you to know that my mental file case is just closing. And I want my gold star for that. But I literally said to her, I was like, Shelly, I don't even know. Because she's like trying to encourage me that there could be somebody. At this point, I, and I literally said to her, who would want this broken bit of business? Like, I, I am fairly young, but I cannot do things that people my age do because of this injury. Like, it's, it's just, it's been something I've been struggling with. Like, I, I am physically broken. <laughs> you all have seen my joke, so, you know, there's that kind of brokenness, because I think I'm real funny, but you're all really nice laughing at me, but, you know. <laughs> Point proven. But, you know, in this conversation and kind of knowing I was going this direction this morning and I got up early this morning and drove down by the water and was praying and it was like, look, I don't have control over this life. But the life I live in this 
world, in this body, whatever comes, whether it's what I want or not what I want, or God does this or God doesn't do this, man, I want to live it by faith in the Son of God. For the one who loved me and gave himself for me, I want my broken existence in this world to be a story of redemption that points to Jesus. And that's the question for all of us. My brokenness, my struggle is going to be different than your brokenness and your struggle. But if we are in Christ, we are living for him, pointing to him. How does our life testify to the fact that we serve the resurrection and the life? The son of God.